You're listening to the Amazing Women Podcast, where we enjoy meaningful conversations with extraordinary women. These highly successful entrepreneurs will share their stories of remarkable success and occasionally some spectacular failures. Come join your host, entrepreneur and best-selling author Rob Kopman, as he shares this hour with you and these fascinating women. Today I'm talking with Dr. Devana Williams, PhD. Devana is a highly educated woman, very successful, and she's uh, wanted to be in business since she was eight years old. She comes from an entrepreneurial family. She's a performance consultant. She's done it for 31 years. Her company is Goins Williams. What she does is she helps organizations fix problems. She works with the human side of the business. And besides just her business acumen, we talked a little bit about what it's like to be a black businesswoman in America. And she had some very, very insightful comments. I have to say I learned a lot from talking to her, and I'm really excited to share what she had to say with everybody else. So without further ado, here is Dr. Devona. Do you like to be called Doc or Dr. Williams or Devona? What's your preference? Dr. Devona. Let's Dr. go Devon. Dr. Devon. Okay, Dr. Devon, tell us about you and what you do. Well, good afternoon, Rob, and thank you so much for having me as your guest. And um, my company is called Goins Williams Associates. I've been in business now for 31 years this October. We focus on people, process, and performance. So we're performance consultants. And what that consists of is uh, helping organizations be more successful in today's strategic work environments. And it includes everything from strategic planning to focus group assessments to professional and organizational development and uh, special research projects and the like. Okay. Now, I'm not much of a corporate kind of guy. I, I worked for a corporation once many years ago for three years. I, I was a mechanical engineer and I didn't, I liked the job. I liked the work. I didn't like the institution, I'm not a corporate kind of person. So, I'm not real fluent in corporate speak, nor do I have a PhD. So to be honest with you, I wasn't a big fan of school either. <laughs> but uh, I've done my share of, of things in the world. But can you explain to me, you know, what you what it is you do, but in a little plainer English? In other words, if I was going to explain it to my you know, teenage daughter, what would I tell her? Well, what I tell my grandkids, I help fix organizations and help, help them solve their problems. And so typically my clients who come to me, they're looking for a specific problem to be solved. Sometimes they are coming to me with a organizational mandate that is required because of a legislative change in government, or they're having workforce issues where a large swath of their employee workforce is leaving suddenly without um, understanding what's going on. Or they have a case where they have ongoing conflicts where people are arguing and fighting all the time and it becomes a productivity problem. Um, or they might suspect that um, someone may have been discriminated against in their workplace, but they're not sure if they have a hostile work environment, if they have um, a legal issue, or if they have just a performance issue, or someone just doesn't like someone. 
So those are the kinds of problems that I get brought into to try to resolve and, and to determine what the best path forward is to work through, develop a process and to give an outcome that helps the company be successful. That's pretty specific. That gives me a pretty good understanding. And it sounds like you don't get involved with the, uh, you know, the business, the accounting side of it, profitability. It, what you do leads to profitability, but you're not look necessarily looking at the numbers and saying what they can do from that point of view, or do you do that as well? Um, not normally. Normally, it's more focused on productivity. So we want to increase performance. Sometimes we look at overall metrics and measures of performance, which might include funding or profitability. It may include people performance. It might look at process. So in our mantra, which is focusing on people performance, uh, process and performance, those are the three primary areas we take a look at. And we work not just with corporations, but with government agencies quite a bit, with political organizations, with um, governing boards of nonprofit organizations. So when I say organizations, there's organi organizations across the board and, and different industries as well. So we're not tied to one particular industry or sector. Um, although we do a lot of work in health and a lot of work in education and uh, quite a bit of work with uh, hospitals and economic development types of organizations. Um, and our typical customer is someone that's at a very high level, like a, a CEO or a senior vice president or human resources function or uh, an executive director or president of a university. Hmm. So, so is it fair to say that you're a people person, right? It sounds like you work on human aspects of these corporations as opposed to the financial aspects. Exactly. Human, human capital and organizational within organizational structures. Okay. Uh, that's a very kind of a deep topic. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can go with that. And I'm sure that you don't know what you're in for until you meet and you start diving in and then you, you uncover the, the challenges and, and then figure out how to, how to fix them one at a time. Right. Yeah. So uh, your training has been schooling. You've got a PhD, but did you learn most of what you know that way? Or did you learn most of it just by doing it, being in the trenches? It's, it's been a mixed, a mixed bag. And my experience has been a, an eclectic blend, pretty much like the, the doctorate I earned. Uh, Urban Affairs looks at a lot of diff different dis disciplines. It's a blend of multiple disciplines, including economics and um, survey research and um, a lot of other areas, uh, demographies, sociology. So it's a blend. And my career is the same way. So I started out as an education major. I have my BS, my bachelor's in education. And uh, then I went on to earn my master's in public administration with a couple of different specializations. And then I earned my, my doctorate. And I'll have to tell you that there's time in between. So uh, I'm working in between. So I had about a 15 year career in uh, appointed positions within administrative positions within government and uh, including a little stint in the Reagan administration as a presidential fellow and then coming back to um, my home state and, 
in I'll say my adopted home state. Um, which and is work, what? Which is Delaware. Delaware. And, um, and working with the state legislature and then appointed positions with the governor. And then I went into corporate and understand during this time, I'm also working on these different degrees. And <laughs> wow. what I learned is that as I go through my career, when I started out as a, started out wanting, always wanted to teach and train and develop people. That was always been that, but um, I also was a business person aspiring to have my own business and would dabble in these different little side ventures. And um, I was exposed to consulting early on in my career as something that I might want to do and putting together workshops. And that's something that I always managed to do even within the different, the different paid employment that I had. And so I saw that I saw that I had an opportunity to create a business out of what I was doing in my government type work. And that gave me the inspiration to know that I needed to go back and get my master's degree. I see. I learned that some of the processes that I was trying to help improve, I needed more education, I needed more training. And so um, first I looked at an MBA and then I found my home in public administration, which is a master's in MPA. And I was able to create these specializations that help understand how, help to determine, well, basically it's, it's um, what's called organizational theory, but how organizations function. And so I took the specializations and, you know, and then I, I knew that I needed to continue working, and I did. And um, when I, I got to say, you have impressive credentials. Uh, you really, you know, both from an academic point of view and from an experience point of view. I'm curious as to at what age were you when you decided to do this or focus your efforts on what has become your full time career? Did you know in high school, um, you know, junior high school? college sometime? You know, when did it occur to you that you really wanted to follow this path? Well, that's an interesting question. Well, I can tell you that at the age of eight, eight? <laughs> I wanted to be, at eight years old, I always wanted to, to have my own business. And I come from a family of entrepreneurs, mostly on my, my dad's side, but also a little bit on my mom's side. And um, I, my dad, who always had multiple business ventures and working full time, just like me, <laughs> uh, he would take me on the runs with, he had a, a water ice truck. That was one of his, his uh, side ventures. I grew up in Philadelphia and I rode the routes with him and I served the children. And I'm sorry, I got, I didn't, what, what kind of truck did he have? Water ice, Philadelphia water ice, water oh. ice, uh, pretzels. And I helped to scoop out the water ice and serve <laughs> So, yeah, snow cones, that kind of thing, right? And I wore the chain. Making kids happy. Absolutely. And I I waited on the kids and and took the money. And and at the end of our run, I would get a cut for for my work. Aha. That's what got you hooked. And I was a sidekick. And um, my dad would always tell me, he said, whenever you have your own business, you always be able to set your own destiny and you also make more money and you'll be in control of what you want to do. But you have to figure out how to make a living out of it. So my sure. dad had multiple different side businesses, but he never 
really was able to become an independent business person. Yeah, but, um, you know, it's kind of a common theme I hear often people who are successful entrepreneurs or even not entrepreneurs, but they use that entrepreneurial spirit in, in their work. They've had either uh, a family where they were entrepreneurial and they grew up around that, or they were the, like you, the kind of kid who was at eight or even five years old. Sometimes they had the lemonade stand on the corner or they had something else. They were selling things to the kids in school or, you know, my, my niece has a cupcake and bakery business. Uh, she's, I don't know how old she is now. She's probably about 12. And she put a little ad in the local community website thing um, next door, I think it's called. Emily's Bakes Shop or something. And she's getting orders. And now she's busy with orders. And she's not making a fortune, but she's making money. And she's doing it all on her own. Her mother doesn't help her. And she'll be, I'm sure, an entrepreneur when she becomes an adult. Absolutely. And it's, it's a mindset. And yeah. I was like your, your niece with uh, so many businesses all through elementary, high school, and college. And, um, and I always have worked multiple jobs and um, dealing with a um, little business on the side or multiple biz- businesses on the side and eventually learned how to have them become successful. And um, so this isn't my first business, but it does start with this an entrepreneurial mindset which is really different than working for someone else. So let me ask you, you don't have to answer this question, but (laughs) I'd like an answer, you know? Um, Sounds like you're very accomplished. You own a business or you're part owner of a business. I don't know what your structure is, but you're what? 100% your business? (laughs) Okay, all right, I'm even more impressed now. Um, In your best year, what was your profit or income or any way you want to explain? you know, just to express it. I don't know how much money did you make? Um, I'll just say I've made um, millions over the course of my time in business. Okay, fair enough. um, Most people who are in the management consulting business, um, there are metrics that show overall success. And and that is being within a range where you're in the top percentage of, of what the margin, people who make the margin. And I've been in the top one to 4%. Okay. Excellent. So, you know, I interview people all the time and they sound great on paper. They have all this credentials and experience. And then when I ask them, well, what did you really do? What did you, how, did you make any money? And a lot of times they, they didn't make much. Just like I talk to authors and they say, I have a best-selling book on Amazon. And then I ask them, how many copies did you sell? And they say, oh, 50. How could that, it's a bestseller for an hour, you know? You have these wonderful credentials, fabulous education, great experience, but you really have made it. You've made a really nice income from it. So advice coming out of your mouth is worth so much more than the advice coming out of these posers' mouths who say they're wonderful, but they really haven't done anything. You know, that old expression, what is it? Uh, people who know do and people who don't teach something like that. Well, yes. you could certainly teach, but you've done and you know, and uh, if I wanted advice, if I had a corporation and I wanted advice on how to improve something, I would come to somebody like you or I come to you because you've actually done it and were successful. So um, if I was wearing a hat, I would take it off to you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I, think I, they- I want to talk about something else that's kind of trendy and sensitive because before we, I press record, 
we talked for a minute, just so my audience knows. And you mentioned something about uh, the challenges of being a woman of color, which is the current way of expressing that you're a, a black woman. Well, I guess it could be any color, right? But in any case, I'm a little uh, ignorant of those challenges because I'm not in that group of people. And I look at you, this is a Zoom call, just so people know, this is an audio podcast, but I'm looking at you, I see you. And I see an attractive, well-dressed, assured businesswoman who knows what she's talking about. And I don't, you know, I don't really, I see your color now that I look at you, but I don't really notice that, you know, that's not an issue and, and you've done very well. So at the same time, you mentioned that that could be challenging being a woman of color. Has that been a challenge for you or did you somehow manage to not be uh, stopped by that? Well, it's a challenge for any, any woman of color has a challenge just because even when you say, I look at you, I don't necessarily see a color. What you're saying is that you, you don't see the color because of other things that you happen to notice. But at the same time, you do see that color. And um, even if it's subconsciously or unconsciously, that color is something that is noticed and seen. And um, so in our society, in our American society, as well as in global cultures around the world, we know that people who have African-American ancestry who are visibly a person of color, and most notably someone with an African background or African descent, they, these people are seen and viewed differently in terms of intelligence, in terms of ability, in terms of places we're supposed to be and not supposed to be. And a great deal of work that I do in my business is on cultural diversity, cultural assessments, and, and most more recently diversity and inclusion, diversity, equity and inclusion, because it actually deals with these issues. And um, you don't see or notice them if you're not a person in that group because your experiences are different than people who are in them. And so, um, I, you know, I'm, I, to go, for me to go through all the different inequities I've experienced from the time that I was born to present day would just, you know, be exhausting. But I can tell you that there have been times where whenever a person violates the social expectations of where that person belongs or where they should be, that's when there's a problem. And it's usually by people who have had either little experience with that particular group or they make assumptions about their intelligence or their abilities or their belongingness of whether or not they're appropriate or a good fit for this type of thing. And there have been many opportunities that I've had in my career as both a woman and a woman who is a black woman, where I've been told, oh, you know, especially in corporate, oh, um, you know, I know that's your aspiration, but um, we don't think that would be a good fit for you. <laughs> never had a black woman in that job. How or, awful. Um, black people or black women don't do well in this type of assignment. Or if I send you there, even though it's in your job, if I send you there, I don't know what the customer's reactions are going to be. Oh. Or in corporate America where, um, you know, we're doing a up to coast to coast international video 
sales presentation to people in the UK and Germany and the actor falls out and can't do the work, but yours truly knows how to do it. And they say, oh, you know, we know that you know the script, but we're, we're afraid our customers won't accept seeing someone, a black woman hmm. in this role. So what's worse, being black or being a woman for, in both. that regard? Both equally? It's and so with both, you got a double whammy. It, de it depends on the circumstance. So I'm, a I'm participating in trade shows in corporate America where I stand out because I happen to be the only woman or happen to be the only woman and the only black. And I'm asked, are you lost? Or I'm asked, <laughs> okay. how does it feel to be here? That's or, terrible. That is terrible. Or the assumption is that um, I'm there with the press because I can't possibly be with the corporate corporation in that type of role. Why, why would, you know, it's just somebody you're not used to yeah. seeing. You so know, when you, oh, and don't ask me how many times I've been thrown out of my own office, including what? my stint in the white house where I had an office in the white house and I was told to come out from behind the desk. So I didn't belong there or being thrown out of my own hotel suite because that couldn't possibly have been me in the hotel suite. They thought I was in the wrong place. So this goes on and on and on, not being able to flag a cab in Boston while I'm at a conference because they told me I could walk at 12 midnight and they don't pick up black people and then going back and getting a, a colleague to flag the cab for me. So I can go on and on but and also, on. You don't have to. That's plenty of really, really good <laughs> examples. And I'm glad you said that because you know you're educating me and other people you know often we don't like you said if you're not involved in that group you don't realize just how pervasive or how bad it really can be and you know I, like i admit my naivete i'm a fairly well educated person i know probably more than i let on but still i, I i'm not in it every day as a good give you a really good example i could put on a nice suit and walk into any place and I get all kinds of respect. People assume I'm a lawyer or something. They open doors for me. They call me sir. I could, I've snuck into places I don't belong, just acted like I own the joint and got away with it. I mean, I never did anything really illegal, but I have done that. And people don't question you if you look like you belong. So I guess what you're telling me is you, you look like you don't belong in many people's eyes. In my own house. I have answered the door and have been asked to get the lady of the house. To come. Oh my God, that's awful. Okay. I mean, I could go on and on and on, not to mention, not to mention the times, you know, as, as a child from, um, from counselors, guidance counselors telling me, well, why would you apply to that kind of school? Um, your people should go to community college to, a college advisor saying, why would you take that many credits? You people don't usually do well with that many credits. And you're talking to a student who was on the dean's list. So, you know, it goes on and on. And so when people say that racism is systemic, that's what we're talking about. It's, it's so systemic, you don't even realize it. From having to produce a baby letter when I bought my first house with my husband to say that I wouldn't have a baby that which is illegal wow. to really? um, during it to, in order for my income to count to we don't hire women who have small children 
you know, so it goes on and on from both, both sides. And I will say that, um, you know, you had asked me, does it stop you? No, it doesn't stop you because it's something that if you know it exists, I mean, as a child, I didn't really know that it existed. I had parents who mm -hmm. really worked to make sure that me and my siblings and I all had really strong self images um, and that we would look at people who would say things like that. We never really understood it as bias. And my mother would just say, oh, Oh, they just don't love their, love their children enough or um, oh, you don't need to go there anyway, or they would dismiss it. And we would learn how to, to come up with other ways to deal with it. So, so how, how do you deal with it? What, you know, what, and what advice would you give other women, especially women of color uh, coming up in the world who run into all this bullshit? Um, what, what, how do you cope with it? You know, what do you do to get past that outside of just say to yourself, I'm a strong woman or I'm a strong black woman. I'm as every bit as credentialed as the white woman next to me or the guy next to me. I can do this as well. Just keep going. That's an easy, easy to say, but it's not really yeah. easy to do. So what, what's your secret? How did you get past it? Well, you know, it certainly has changed over the years. Um, That's it's, good. it's coming back full cycle though, in a different form because some of the bias that's coming back now is very strong where people is you have conscious bias and unconscious bias. So you have people who are intentionally discriminating today and they don't care. Hmm. They don't like this group. They don't like that group. And they're, and they're, they're proud of it and they're okay with it. And so you see that now playing out pretty, pretty loudly and pretty um, vehemently on um on all the social media with the far right stuff and yeah you and, see it on the news too and and i don't want to get political here but you certainly right. see a political divide like that too and it's not just a, uh, against people of color it's against other other different groups and you see um people who are pretty well known in the press such as uh, Kamala harris having to deal with people making fun of her name or you know just different petty little what 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 are known as micro inequities the little things that people do that show their bias. Um, but what's different today is that you also have a fear-based um, reality of real discrimination from things like, you know, driving while, while Black or person of color um, being stopped more often. Um, I was um, challenged by a neighbor um, going to the pool of, of the complex that I own and asking me, do I, be not, do, do I live there? And it's like, do you? you know, right, yeah. asking me for my ID and she's just a, a, a neighbor. How dare you ask me for my ID? So we're seeing that kind of stuff. And we've seen some of these things play out on TV. So you have this emboldened group of people who look at certain people and they make a decision about where they belong or don't belong. And, um, and I will tell you that I have more education than most people. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and so I'm, you know, deeply offended. So if you have people that um, who are are not in a position, uh, I feel that it's it's my duty and within the scope of the sphere of influence that I have to do the most that I can to break these kinds of barriers. Um, but I'm also at, have the amount of experience and um, age on me that. You know, I'm not going to apologize and I'm not going to um, 
flash out my credentials. I don't have to do that. I'm a person. I'm a person. And one of my colleagues, my dear colleagues, he's passed now, but um, he worked with me for many years. And uh, he was a Caucasian male that was part of my group, one of my associates. And he was also a doctor, um, PhD. And we would travel and do projects together. People would all often assume that he was my boss not the other way around. And he was older than me. So, you know, that was a natural assumption. But we would always laugh and say, let's get the job first and then correct them later. So we never, <laughs> you know, we let people assume whatever they would want to assume. And um, so there's, there's a school of thought that you let water will seek its own level and you can demonstrate your abilities and people can decide whether or not they accept it or not. And remember President Barack Obama, he had all the credentials and there are still people who challenged him. They challenged. Yeah, he had he, a hard time. Was he really? Yeah, was he, he was really, uh, Democrat he, while black, which was, right. <laughs> which was a big problem. Was he really? Did he really um, be? Was he really the editor of the law review? Um, they challenged his credentials mm. being an affirmative action kind of a thing. You know, it's that kind of thing. So even when you do you, you still have people who, who challenge. I had a client once who, um, who um, once he didn't realize that after he had hired me that I was a woman of color and he um, had said before I produced the final report, he says, you know, your, your people do have hard times sometimes with, with grammar. And I just wanted to check. I said, what are you, what are you talking about? I said, you already hired me. I said, I've published three books. How many books have you published? You know? So, um, yeah, well, you got to admit though that out in society, whether it's in the recording industry or TV, you do often hear black people speak differently and, and misuse English. Plenty of white people misuse English, too. Absolutely. But it's out there. You know, you, you listen to rap songs and there's some of them are pretty darn nasty. And, and so I understand why people think that, even though it's just the person that they're listening to. It's not everybody, but they yeah. don't get past that. Look, we've had a president right. of the United States who has poorest English of any public figure and he has an he has supposedly has education or uh, a college degree from Ivy League school right. so and and we have many many people who are uneducated in this country who speak poorly whether they have education or not we happen to see it a little differently because it stands out more because black people or people of color are more visible and so we make these perceptual biases based on that one group. So let me ask you something a little different, and then we'll get to your business, which is really what I want to talk about. <laughs> Got a little sidetracked here, but this is a golden opportunity for me to talk to an intelligent black person to give me a real answer. So that's why I'm taking advantage of it. I, I, you know, I, I trust everything you say. You know what you're talking about, as opposed to people on social media or just somebody you meet on the street. So that's, that's why I'm taking advantage of the situation. And I really want to know. So um, I've been told, this is kind of an off the wall question, but that's okay. I've been told that with the level of prejudice, bigotry against people of color, the darker color your skin are, the worse it is. Is there any truth to that rumor? Absolutely. We have a caste system in this country. And we have- Like Kamala Harris is a great example. She's almost white looking. Well, Kamala yet, Harris, right? she's part Asian, she's part, and most people of color are multiracial, as I am. 
And um, we make assumptions, assumptions looking at people. Most people who have families, people of color have rainbow families where you have one person who's lighter, one person who's darker. The darker people will tell you that there's a greater greater level of discrimination. And, and it is so true. So it's true then, okay, yeah. It is that's... absolutely true. And, right. I've been told, and I've been told in many employment situations that um, we don't feel the same way against you, people speaking to me, because you're acceptable looking. Which <laughs> oh, Talk about insulting. Acceptable looking is code word for you kind of, when we look at you, we know you're black, but at the same time, you, you fall in a range of what we consider to be really nice looking according to. Yeah, you uh, dress like a white woman, you sound more white and, and right. All you, standards. I get it. Know? Yeah, yeah. And so that, and that's the challenge. And um, so it creates a lot of within group competition, unfairness, um, and it's, it's, it's very sad. And, and you also see that within families, there's, there's light preference as well. And so if you look at patterns of housing where people are able to live, um, the darker people tend to and have been discriminated against in employment, whereas the lighter people have been favored and have been able to move into different circles and not be detected as much or treated. So is it fair to say, if you know what to look for, it's easy to see, it's right in front of your face. You can just, in, in a few minutes, you could see the levels of uh, economic and, and other yeah. factors. You can see right away, here's a group of really dark skinned people. They, they seem not to have not as much money as the lighter skin, it's just harder. It's people. just one more thing to overcome, and yeah. it's rude. Okay, rude. so let me ask you one more thing, and then I really do want to get up the subject. Um, I, 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 I catch an underlying tone of, of uh, <coughs> anger in your voice, which is absolutely justified, by the way. I'm not angry, uh, you know, but I'm frustrated. No, not frustrated. No, not even that. Just no. um, uh, sure of what you're saying. So anyway, what I want to ask you is this. I see on the news a lot, especially lately, there's all these Black Lives Matter things. And I see these parades and people holding signs. And I know some of it was triggered by the, the murdering of black people by the police. Right. Um, but I see all these white people and a lot of white kids. And they're out there with their signs saying, you know, Black Lives Matter. And, and I'm seeing all of a sudden all these black uh, actors on television and everywhere I look, it's like I've never seen this many black people in front of my face in my life. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying what I've observed. Okay. Uh, my question is this: Do you think that all these people that are out there yelling and screaming, we need to give equality to black people? Is it just the trendy meme of the day, or do they really mean it? And will it make some real change? a big question i'll yeah, just know. you know it's been 400 years there are people like my family who i can trace my roots back to before coming to this country our people have been in this country 400 years and there's still we do not have racial equity there's systemic systemic race systemic racism is real and what's happened today is you have a younger group of children who've been raised with 
beliefs in diversity and equity and inclusion. And so their playmates are all everyone of every background and they don't understand racism. They don't understand sexism. They don't understand discriminating against someone because of their abilities or, or um, being a disabled person. They don't understand that because they grew up in an atmosphere where they were accepting and tolerant of differences. And so you couple that with children and who are more, we've seen more of an increase of interracial, multiracial family, multiracial families where people are intermarrying across all races and ethnicities. And so this generation is that way. And that's what they're growing up with. Grandparents have multiracial children. So we see people who've experienced the police brutality for everyone to see. So it's like a common event. So, you know, if you remember when um, Martin Luther King was assassinated or JFK was shot and the whole country saw that at one time, experienced that at one time, this is what's happened here. Everyone experienced what happened to George Floyd. And because of that, it triggered a relook or a revival of social injustice when it comes to police brutality. So you and think then the reactions are real and, and this new generation, will be a significant change. Um, it has the potential to have significant change in another way, just like the demonstrations from um, the civil rights era of the 60s and 70s had um, to make changes yeah. in the law. Yes, this does, because corporations are already starting to look at their own policies on diversity and inclusion. And they're looking at some of the things that they're doing to exclude people of the workforce. Because you think about it, anytime you're excluding people from the workforce because of even unintentional discrimination or unconscious bias, you're losing that productivity. And so people who are in a position of power and leadership who are of color, yes, they're speaking out. People like myself, yes, we're speaking out because um, most people don't talk about all these incidences that have happened to them that they've accepted. Just like the police brutality, people who are black know these things are real, but um, we have had to live in the world. So we live in the world, we do what we can to, you know, overcome it, manage through it, but it doesn't mean that it hasn't been there. And it's like, just like the Me Too movement, a lot of women had to resurface some of these painful experiences to help men understand what they were dealing with. And it's the same kind of thing with, with um, black people who- Yes, I, I like that point of view. I, mean, I remember when the Me Too movement was kind of at its peak and I hear about all these women that have been abused and treated and, you know, and I, I asked a few women I know, my wife and my daughter and friends, and I said, is it really like that out there? I mean, I don't see it, you know, and I'm not like that. If I give a woman a hug, I just do it because I like her. I'm not looking to have sex with her, right? So um, they tell me, yeah, uh, it's like one out of five or something have had a serious altercation. And um, my wife has been lucky. She hasn't had much of that. But other people I know, other women I know, they said, oh, yeah, it's happened to me. It happens to me even all, now, even still all the time. The guys pat me on the butt. They say things. They have innuendos. Uh, they get, give me different opportunities. It's, it, it is real. And I was 
kind of shocked that how bad it really was. Does really that many women get sexually abused on a daily basis in America? Yeah, they do. It's a, it's a lot. Amazing how many yeah. there are. So you get it, Rob. So you see, this is the same kind of thing that's happening here. And um, so the great thing about it is it's a tremendous opportunity for us to improve as a society. And it's a tremendous opportunity for all of us to be able to come together. Because if, that, if I understand some of what's going behind you, that might be misinterpreted as anger. It's not anger. Sometimes it's frustration with people because it's hard for you to understand if you haven't been through it. Absolutely. And often the understanding comes if you had a, a biracial child or if you had a multiracial grandchild and you, um, someone questioned whether what you were doing to that child or why would you have such a child, then you might start to feel that, okay, now I get it a little bit. Um, it's almost like telling somebody they want to quit smoking. Well, just stop smoking, just quit. Right. But yeah. if they were a smoker, they know how difficult it is. If they weren't, they don't have a clue how hard it is. Yeah. And there's a lot of things like that in life, right? And this is a really big thing to quit. So, um, all right. I'm glad I, I brought it to people's attention. This is, after all, though, a podcast on, you know, amazing women, which you clearly are, and with a with a with uh, an angle or a bent towards entrepreneurship and, and business and making money. And, and we, we touched on that at the very beginning and then got off to a very important sidetrack. I have no regrets about that whatsoever. But in the last few minutes we have, I'd like to bring it back. And, and you set yourself up now as eminently qualified to give your opinion, and, and which is great. So what were some of the challenges you had? Forget about being a black woman, forget about where you live, all that stuff. Just as a business person, you're, you're a business person who happens to be those other things, right? So mm -hmm. as a business person, you know, what challenges did you have? How did you get through them? And, and my favorite question is, what was some, one of your uh, biggest failures and how did you get past that or learn from it? Well, I would say, um, well, I love what I do, first of all, and I've been fortunate more than most, and you think most businesses go out of business five years, then 10 years, very few remain beyond that. And I'm over 30 years now in business. And, um, and I will tell you that, and that's rare for anybody. And when I see myself, I see myself as an entrepreneur, as a business person, as a philanthropist, as a, a public servant. Um, I don't define myself by anything else than that, um, a mother, grandmother. Um, but I would say that, um, the, the biggest challenges um, are threefold. It's doing what you do in your business. It's the back office work and it's being able to develop your business. So you have those three elements in your, in your business. And by the way, I have a book that I've written, The Intentional Consultant, which kind of lays out how I've been able to stay in business all these years. And oh. it's really balanced. Well, let me stop you right there for just a moment. That book, is it still available, still in print? Is it, is. it on Amazon? Where do you get it? On Amazon. It's also on our company website. It's called The Intentional Consultant. I'll look it up when we're done, and I'll post it on the show notes so that people can find it and, and, and buy it if they want to, because that sounds like a worthwhile read. I might even read it. Yeah, I actually wrote it in 2009 during the last recession because I had so many people coming to me asking me, how do you stay in business? And um, what are your tips? And it was an idea that I had even before that because I had weathered other downturns in, in um, the economy. 
And I can tell you that um, the biggest challenges are being able to do what you do, develop your business, and to be able to get that back office work done. When I say back office, it's, you know, you've got to pay your taxes. You've got to, you've got to hire staff or have people to help. You have to do your marketing for your business. And there are cycles to all of these things. But at the same time, you still have to find time to actually do the business that, that you sell or that you make or that you, you know, products that you sell or your services that you service. And then you've got to do the promotional piece. And um, so it's, it's, those are, those are the balances. <laughs> we all have to work four times to get, to get paid, right? We have to come up with the ideas and we have to do all that back office work and pay the taxes and pay the vendors and all that kind of stuff. That's right. after you even have the actual product. And then you got a bill and sometimes you got to run after the people to pay you. So you gotta, I find all the, yeah, I have a business too. And, and it's the actual business what people see. That's just a small part of it. I mean, I sell a book, I'm a publisher. I've sold, been fortunate enough to sell half a million copies. And the cost of doing business is not the printing of the book. It's everything else that people everything. don't see. I get it. People don't see it, right? It's sort of like the iceberg. It. And, you, you know, the, what's underneath is, is takes more effort and you see what's on the top. Um, the, I would say the biggest challenges are, you know, continuing with, with that balance, the work-life balance, certainly, mm -hmm. because. Um, when you have your own business, you uh, can have a tendency to work long hours or to work um, work and lose track of some of the other things that you need to do. And so that's that's a challenge. Hasn't been a big challenge for me, but at times it has been. Um, and um, I would say another challenge has been. Um, well, those are those are the two that I'll pick. I'll, I'll say I'll go with the failure question, and I, I I will say the biggest learning. I don't like to call it a failure, but the biggest learning that I have, the one that sticks out to me the most, sure, is, they're all learning opportunities. Yeah, never, never fail, fail forward, as they say. Never hire the wife of a client without really fully <laughs> credentials. Uh, you know, I that was one that I really got burned with. That um, I lost the client, and the person ended up she needed to leave for a lot of good reasons. But, you know, you, you learn as you go. And, um, and that's the beauty of it, that you're building on um, your learnings and you're improving and working on continuous improving. You cannot be afraid of feedback from your customers. Um, you know, I remember once um, working on a project, um, my, my, one of my employees did and a client was not happy with it at all. I pulled her back. We worked on this project till like 10 o'clock every night for three nights in a row, all day long. And we redid it for the client and he was very happy. And it's funny, I just heard from him um, about two weeks ago and I hadn't talked to him in many years. And he recalled this experience and congratulated me for staying in business so many years. So, you know, it does, it does, make a difference you know when you're willing to own your mistakes and um and then you learn from them um you know i i would say that um those are the things that those are the things that come to mind i think the other piece for me in terms of the balance is really being able to do the things in um, public life they're important um i chair our board the board of trustees for delaware state university and i've been on the board of trustees now for almost nine years. I also chair the foundation board. So I'm an active public servant. 
And it's so important for me to be able to lend a voice and to be an influencer in areas that can really make a difference in people's lives. And um, so I believe in higher education and mentoring. And um, I spend a lot of my time, free time, doing those kinds of things. It's you have just free time? <laughs> what to well, believe? You have free time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I, balance, I balance pretty good. You know? How do you and do I'm that? Like, you know, that's a question people ask me all the time. Rob, tell, why don't you have some of your guests address that? How do, you, how do they achieve that? They, don't, they hate the word work-life balance, but we know what it means, right? You know, how do you balance the work life and the family life? And I, what I've noticed is, and tell me if you see this too, one of the differences between men and women in business is very often the guy is at work and he's got, it's six o'clock and he's got three more hours worth of work to do and something's got to be done. And he calls home and he says, especially if he's married, honey, I'm sorry, I, I, I got to stay, I got to work late. I got to get this done. Eat dinner without me, say, all the kids I love them, whatever. And, and I'll see you when I see you. And they come home at 10 o'clock at night. The woman in the same exact position will often tell the people in her office, you know, I'm sorry, I'd love to stay till nine o'clock and finish this, but I can't. I've got kids at home. I got to feed them. I got to take them to soccer or whatever. Uh, I'll try to do some of it at home, but I'll come back tomorrow and work on it. It's a very different mindset. Do you find that to be pervasive or is that less common than I think? It's interesting. I think, I think that has evolved. Over the years, I mean, I see my my son and my daughter-in-law have a very balanced, shared parenting with the children, and um, in in the lifestyle and balancing their their careers. Um, I um, remember in my corporate days, one of the my my um, boss told me, "We don't want to hear about your kids. We don't want to hear about your children." Mm-hmm. And, leave your home life at home. We don't want to hear about it. And yet in the mornings, you're trying to get your kid off on the school bus and all of that. Uh, so I vowed when I started my own company that I would have a lot more flexibility with my employees and also with my own family for things that needed to come first. And so I've built into my practice lifestyle that I don't look at my business here and then my family here or my family over here, my business over here, it's all together. My life is, I'm, I'm a person. And so my life is my life. And there are times that I need to focus on my family. And there are times when I need to focus on some personal needs. And there are times I have to focus on, on my business and my client needs. And so there are times within the day that I'm focusing on all three of those things all, all the time. And they're not necessarily compartmentalized. And, um, and I've allowed employees to bring their children to work or um, leave early to take care of a personal need. And you know, as long as the work gets done, I, don't, you know, I, I didn't really care. We had core hours and things that we were expected to do. Um, my business model has changed over the years. So now I don't have employees where I have associates who are uh, 1099 employees, but you know, people have, have personal lives and we're finding out in this remote work environment that you know dogs are barking in the background babies are crying um husbands <laughs> wives are walking in the back of absolutely. the absolutely some of them are not even dressed <laughs> yeah right and and so and the good thing about all of this is it's helping us see that people are human i used that word before but we're all human and we can relate to each other we are relating to one another when we see that we are experiencing a lot of the same things so you know, it's, it's a good thing. Uh, 
we just have, we can be flexible, we can be adaptable, but the work has to get done. And so you have core hours and, you know, you just have to ask people, what do you need? You know, what do you need to be successful? And um, do you have a little bit of grace for me? Because right now, I'm, you know, I haven't dealing with this or I have a sick parent or, you know, my dog. Slack. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I have to say you, you're extremely well adjusted, especially for a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> I've run into a lot of people that are, you know, that much schooling and that kind of designation. And they're not always realistic in their outlook in life. They're all smart, but they're not necessarily well adjusted, just like a lot of therapists. Takes one to know one, I guess. I don't say I won't see one, but um, they're not so well adjusted. Well, you, you you're really seem like on the surface anyway, very well adjusted. And, and if I had to describe you in one word, I would say wisdom. Like the wisdom of Solomon. This is great. I'm really impressed by you. I'm so well, glad I met you. That must just be the age. It must be the age. But I'm going to give credit. My mother-in-law used to say, give credit where credit is due. And I said, I'll give credit to University of Delaware and the program that I was in, which is Urban Affairs and Public Policy. And it really is a people-oriented program. And it was just wonderful graduate experience because you, know, you have people, we're dealing with people and society, and it's all about um, how it all works together. And um, having that kind of understanding, it's just an undercurrent to what I'm about. And that's why I say it was a perfect area of study for me because that's the kind of work that I do and the work that I love, which is the work in my business, but also in my, in my personal life, you know, it, 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 it all kind of works, all works together. Somebody used to tell me, they said, don't be all PhD on me. <laughs> yeah, I, I get said, that. That's, right. not, that's, yeah, that's not, not you, though. That's not you. I mean, you, you, you know, I could tell you don't even have a nice smile. Uh, how many kids do you have? I have one son, grown son. Uh, I have five stepdaughters. And I can't even count all the grandkids. I have two. You're lucky. My, nice. Great. So there's a lot of people running around here. Yeah, Need, yeah. Needing and wanting, as I say, needing and wanting. <laughs> being um support so in closing here's a tough question for you you know do you have one little last nugget of wisdom you'd like to share with with the world here things something you learned something that's succinct that's you know unbelievably profound <laughs> that you could share with everybody well you know in these times we're really dealing with what i call perilous times right now um, unprecedented historic times and be kind, be kind to one another, be understanding to one another, give each other grace, be empathetic to hmm. one another. Nice. Those are the things that I would, I would say. And most of all, love each other. You know, we are all human. We use the word, I use the word relate Relate means we have to relate to have a relationship. So just understand people, work toward understanding. Be nice, be kind. Hmm. That's pretty and, simple, actually. Yeah. yeah, that's a real high note. I thank you for your time and, and your uh, candor. Uh, this has been really an honor to talk with you. Uh, are you looking for business? I mean, do you want to tell people how to find you and best way to contact you, or, or do you not need that? Absolutely. Everyone in business is looking for business, as they say, although I'm um, very um, happily working at this time. I've fully transitioned my business to the online work 
And most of what we do is online. And uh, But you can reach us at www.goinswilliams.com, G-O-E-I-N-S, williams.com. And I'm ha happy to um, help any organization that's looking to solve problems, particularly in the DEI area, as well as leadership and organizational assessment work. So I'm happy to help. And uh, thank you so much, Rob. It was my pleasure. My pleasure. You ask hard questions. I try. Good questions. Good questions. What's the point of doing this if I'm like everybody else? I love to hear, well, nobody's ever asked me that. I get that often. And that, that, that's my biggest thrill. Good questions. I hope that we can stay in touch. I'd like to, yeah. And I can find you on LinkedIn at any time too, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. And I, I would, I'll talk to you offline about a couple of things. Um, anyway, uh, thank you so much, Devon. Um, we're pretty much out of time here. And that, that was really uh, a worthwhile conversation. I hope people enjoy it, who listen to it as much as I've enjoyed it. Thank you, Rob. You have a good rest of your day. Thanks again. Thanks for joining us today on the Amazing Women podcast. Subscribe now and get the latest episodes sent to your device every week. Go to our website, theamazingwomenpodcast.com, to hear bonus episodes, download free business tools, and join our family of amazing women. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>